moment just to kind of refresh ourselves. He says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia, for uh, from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. As we talked about last week a little bit, just in these six verses, there is an incredible amount of depth. We've got everything from uh, election to joy of the Holy Ghost to being filled by Him. We've got the second coming of Christ. I mean, we've got a whole lot here. This is good stuff. Now, with this here, what, here's what we want to do. As we looked at verse 4 last week, we dealt with this knowing. Uh, knowing, brethren beloved, this is who we are. He says, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. It is something that you can know. It is not a knowable. Rather, it is something that you may know, should know. Right To not know it, it that, that is an issue. We dealt with this with 1 John. It's no different. 1 John was written to give an apologetic of the day, but even more so to give an assurance of the faith. So what is Paul giving here in verse 4? We dealt with this last week. He's not writing to come and to cause division, to cause issues, to cause fightings, when we've got plenty of that over that word election, but we talked about this. When we find elect and election, the vast majority of the time, 95% of the time when we find those two words, Old and New Testament. You know what we find? A corporate election. We find it with Abraham and Israel. We find it with in Christ Jesus. It is that uh, the Lord chose Abraham or chose Israel, right? Uh, through Abraham, through that covenant. Now, even Romans talks about this. Paul would go on to write and he would say that everyone that is of Israel is not necessarily of Israel. Meaning, well, what does that mean? If you're born an Israelite, does that mean you're really of Israel? Well, the idea was that you could be a Jew and not have faith and not really be of the covenant, to not really be saved. Now, we talked about this as well last week, uh, this idea of those who take these things, these doctrines to an extreme. You cannot inherit salvation just because your parents are saved and they say they're elect or whatever it might be that, that now you are. No, this is an individual choice. This is a call and invitation by God. But what we find is that this call and invitation is in Christ Jesus. So, who is elect? Well, first, the Lord Jesus Christ is. But then so are or is the church. Well, who's the church? Everyone who will bow the knee to Christ. Everyone who has repented of sins and trusted Jesus. And you will only repent of sins and trust Jesus if you have heard the gospel. So the gospel must go forth. The gospel must be heard, received, believed. And then we find that the gospel is then lived. And what does that do? The idea here, verse 4, is not to cause division, but rather to cause assurance. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Now, here's where verse 5 is important. This is why verses often build together, right? If you write a letter to somebody and they read the second paragraph, but not the last part of the first paragraph, it's not going to help them a whole lot, right? This stuff connects. Look at this. Verse 5. This is going to be our focus today. For our gospel came not unto you. What does that mean, their gospel? Did they make this up? No, it's the gospel that came to them from Christ because it's about Christ, because the gospel is the message of Christ, that he came, he died, 
He was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scripture. That is the only hope that we have. That is the only thing that we stand on. It is the gospel that unites us. It is the gospel that divides us from those who don't believe the gospel. It is the gospel that saves. It is the gospel that seals. It is the gospel that allows us to live. It is the gospel that we live for. It is the gospel that we proclaim. The gospel is the root of all that we know, believe, and live. And he says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. This is the key. We can and should be assured of our election, and that's a fancy word of saying, our salvation. That you can know that you are saved. How can you know that you are saved? How can you know that you are, as Paul puts it here to the Thessalonians, be sure of your election, to know your election? It is this. Are you trusting in Jesus, in Jesus alone, for your salvation right this very second? Are you? All right. So you can have some assurance. Here's the thing that people get so worked up over so many things. They go, well, I don't have the date that I got saved. Do I need the date I got saved? No, you don't. You might need to know your wedding anniversary. But here's the thing. What, What is key here? You see, you can fight and argue about dates, times, but are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone right this very moment? Is that what you are putting your total dependence, total trust on, your total weight of eternity upon? Because if not, it does not matter what kind of date you can give of your baptism, your church membership, or anything. If you're not trusting in Christ, now there is an issue, right? Now, when we get into verse 5 here, we find that he is thankful because he knows how they have received the gospel. This is something that we should have amongst ourselves. One, that we receive the gospel, right? That, that's the basis of salvation. But as well, let's understand this. Receiving the gospel is the basis of our sanctification. There will be no life lived for Christ unless we receive the gospel, not just the moment we got saved, whatever date or hour that was, but we have to receive the gospel every day. Right? What does that mean? Does that mean we have to get saved? No, we, we already saved. Praise God for that. But this means that every day, you know what we should dwell upon? That Christ has came, He has died, He has risen, and I am forgiven. Not because of who I am and what I've done, because of who He is and what He has done. That's the message of the gospel. That is the good news. The good news of the gospel is still good news long after our salvation. It's still good news even in the midst of deep, dark spiritual battles, fighting against sin, fighting for joy, fighting for these things. And look at verse 5. As we receive the gospel, as they received the gospel, here's what they got. They got not only the gospel in word only, but also in power. Think about how many of us are living powerless lives, powerless to sin, powerless because we have no assurance. Well, why don't we? Well, because we have somehow forgotten or thought that we get past the gospel. We never get past the gospel. We never outgrow the gospel. We can never. Those of us who are saved, truly, if we were to sit, and I encourage you to do this sometimes, right? Even Maybe even once a day, once a week, it's some time. Just sit and meditate on the fact that Jesus loved you while you were a, still a sinner against Him, died for you and rose again to offer you life, even though you were at that time in your sin and, and even rejecting His way. To think about the beauty and the good news of the Gospel, we should meditate on those things. Why? Because what does it do? It gives us power. It gives us uh, assurance. It gives us, as we'll get into in verse 6, maybe today, joy. Right? The Gospel is the very root of the entire being of a Christian. 
Without it, we don't have power. You see, it's the gospel that gives us power to be saved. It's the gospel that gives us power to be sanctified. It's the gospel that gives power that one day we'll be glorified with Him. Because the fact of the gospel remains true. Its power remains true. Its, um, its reach remains true. Its assurance giving remains true. Now, as we transition here from verse 4 to 5 here, though God's love has elected us in Christ Jesus, the gospel must be proclaimed understood and believed for the work of salvation to be applied to the sinner's account. Here's what we see. If there is no there is no election, salvation outside of the gospel. There can be no assurance outside of the gospel. There can be nothing there's no sanctification outside of the gospel. All of our hope all of our church policy, procedures, unity, ministries, everything, regardless of how busy we might be or not busy we might seem, everything must be founded and centered and based upon the gospel. Now, you go, well, is, does that mean all that we need is the gospels? No, it does mean that all that we need is the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is preached from Genesis to Revelation. The gospel is preached in every book of the Bible. The gospel is hoped for, looked for, prophesied, proclaimed it is all that we need and who is it found in it is found in christ jesus so what does this really tell us dear christian that what we need today and all that we need today is jesus that's it now now we so overcomplicate things because we add so much to this but the moment we begin adding things to what jesus has done or said that's where we get into problems and troubles now Let's look at this. Morris writes, The reason Paul is sure of the election of the Thessalonians is the effect on them of what he calls our gospel. The term points to the content of the original preaching, the good news of God's action to bring salvation to sinners. That's the gospel, right? He says the possessive, uh, uh, the possessive hour may mean that apostles, just as much as other, other people, need the gospel, or more probably that they had made the gospel they preached their own. It was for them far more than a fine theory. It was something to be lived and proclaimed with power. That is perhaps one of the greatest issues of our day. We have well-meaning, good-hearted people who have known the Lord for a long time, but have gotten away from the Gospel. Every day, we need it. It's good news to the sinner because it can save them. But it's good news to the Christian because it sanctifies them. It gives them hope. It gives them assurance. It gives us all that we need. Now, I wrote this little thing down. Verse 4 and 5, what we find is that if there is elect, there will be an effect. Meaning this, if there's salvation, there's going to be sanctification. If there's going to be a receiving of the gospel, there's going to be uh, this, this uh, proclaiming, there's going to be this living of the gospel. If there is real salvation, or what Paul puts in verse 4, a knowledge of being elect of God in Christ Jesus, being assured of our salvation, if we have real salvation in Christ Jesus, there will be real fruit from it. Jesus changes everything. The gospel changes everything. Knowing Him changes everything. That is what all of our life is rooted and grounded in. Now, the gospel must be preached. But notice, he says, for our gospel came not unto you in word only. Now, we might look at this, and we think word only, well, that's preaching. It could be writing. It could be teaching. It could be 
uh, one-on-one conversations, right? Word could be in a multitude of ways, right? There's written word, there's spoken word, and that's a, a whole broad topic in and of itself. But he says it did not come in word only. Why is that? Because words only don't do a thing. Now think about this, all right? Let, let's, let's liven up a little bit this morning. All right? let's, let's participate here. Raise your hand if you got saved the first time you heard the gospel. Second time? Third? You probably don't even know anymore, do you? Right? It's almost impossible to know, especially if you grew up in a, in maybe in a church like this or, or, or somewhere that preached the gospel, right? It, 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 you, it's hard to tell how many times you heard it before you heard it, right? right? You heard the gospel, but it was a long time maybe before you listened, right? It was a long time before those, those ears, both physical and spiritual, were opened up and you go, oh, he died for me. Oh, this makes sense. Right, this is why even those who grow up, you know, them preacher kids or missionary kids or ministry kids or church kids, right? Those are the dangerous hard ones. You know why? They hear the gospel, hear the gospel, hear the gospel. They even know the gospel, know the gospel, know the gospel. Even tell the gospel, tell the gospel, tell the gospel. But unless they come to that place where they hear, but do more than hear and they listen, and the power of the gospel is then applied, that they then receive Christ, it is of none effect. Think about this. Let's do, let's do a little another thing here. Anybody ever tried to read the Bible before they got saved? Right? Anybody try to read the Bible before you got saved? Did, did it make sense? No. Right? You might have even known a little bit of Scripture before you got saved. But it didn't really sink, did it? No. Why? Because words are just words unless there's power. But where is their power? Well, there's power where the gospel is preached. Because it's the power of God and salvation. Romans 1.16, 1 Corinthians 1.18, the, the, the preaching of the cross, right? It, it is foolishness to those who perish, but to those of us who are saved, it is the power of God. But, where does the power come from? From the Holy Spirit who applies it. Notice, immediately after. He says, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. Why? Because if the Holy Ghost isn't working, there ain't no power. Have you ever witnessed to somebody and they look at you like this? Right? They don't have a clue what you're talking about. Or, or even worse, we have this happen a lot around here. You're giving somebody the gospel and they say, mm hmm. Yep. That's right. You know why? Because they know, because they've heard Jesus loved me and died on the cross. That's all they got. There's no power yet there. Why? Jesus said, No man will come unto me unless the Spirit draw him. Right? So what has to happen? Think about this. You know, you heard the gospel probably a million times before you got saved, right? I did too. But when it clicked, it clicked. But what was the clicking agent? The Holy Spirit opened up your eyes, unclogged your ears, and opened up that heart that you would go, oh, it is real. It is different. It, I do have to have this applied. I, I have to have this accepted because if this is true, then... All of my life and eternity depends upon that. And if it is true, I have to do something with it. Is the gospel true? Yes. All right. Is the gospel true? There you go. Do you have to do something with it? Absolutely. Because the very truth of it goes. It is both an invitation and a command to repent and believe. And when the gospel is proclaimed, there it is. What will you do with it, right? But it is the Holy Spirit that brings power to the apostles. Notice this, right? We read uh, 
How many of you in your Bibles, maybe, you turn over to the book of the Acts, and at the beginning it says the Acts of the Apostles? Right? My Bible says that, right? Well, what do we find as we read the book of Acts? We find the apostles doing a lot of stuff, but what do we find every time they go to do that said stuff? And the Holy Spirit said to them, the Holy Ghost did, or, and the Spirit filled them, or they were filled by the Spirit, right? Or all those things. Or how about when, when Peter, the, Peter and John are heading to go uh, pray in chapter 4, and what happens? He raises up this lame man who's been sitting there for years. Did Peter do it? No, there we go, right? It's the Holy Spirit through Peter. Why? Because Peter's got no power. If we, don't, if we forget this couple months prior, uh, they're going, hey, Peter, were you, you, you were a follower of Jesus. No, I was not. Three times. Let's not forget that. So there's no power in our flesh. There's no power even in the apostles' flesh. Where does their power come from? The Spirit of God. <coughs> now, the Spirit applies this. I want to look here at one, one of these verses real quick. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? Because where you have power, what do you have? The Spirit. What does the Spirit bring? Power. The Spirit does two things for us. It gives us the presence of God because He is the presence of God because He is God. This is why when the Spirit comes to indwell every believer, we have the presence of God within us. But then what else does the Spirit do? The power of God. He applies the Word of God. He opens up the eyes. He unclogs the ears. He unstops the hearts, right? Uh, he, he tells us to move. He tells us to speak. He tells us to hush up. He tells us to walk. He tells us to be still. The Spirit is the power of God. So what does that also mean for the believer? Well, He's the presence of God in our life, but He's also the power of God in our life. So without Him... We've got nothing, so we need Him for everything. And He tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.4, if anybody could have spoken and convinced a crowd, you'd think it'd be Paul, right? He had to have been quite the order. He had sat around at the feet of Gamaliel, the, the, uh, the smartest of Pharisees at the time. He was a doctor of doctors, a Pharisee of Pharisees. If anyone could convince people from the Scripture or with his own enticing words, it's Paul. We've got a lot of people Behind pulpits, we've got a lot of people who have never stepped behind a pulpit, don't belong behind a pulpit, but are writing books and influencing today's average Christian. And they're doing so with enticing words because man and our flesh, we can entice. The idea of enticing words, you know what that is? The way we would understand this, it's manip manipulative words. Right? It's singing every, uh, every one of the 80 verses of Just As I Am when no one's coming. It's the... It's, the, it's a million different things that we can do to manipulate hearts. Mankind does that. You think, how many, many non-Christian books have you read in it, or a, you've seen a movie that's not Christian and it tugs at your heart a little bit, right? Uh, you, you watch um, Old Yeller, right? There we go. Old Yeller, you're already thinking about it right now. And it, some of you are starting to well up. Why? It, it can tug at your heart. It can entice you to feel things. Man's words can do such, but there's no real power for the heart without the Holy Spirit of God. You see, emotions are not a bad thing. Emotions were given by God. However, emotions must be put in control. Emotions can manipulate us, and we must never be manipulated by our emotions. Rather, when it comes to worship, when it comes to the work of God, when it comes to our evangelism, when it comes to church, when it comes to our family, <clears throat> should there be emotions when we talk about the things of God? Absolutely. Only from the Holy Spirit of God, though. There is no power 
in our life outside of the Scripture or outside of the Spirit. And we notice this. When we find the power of God, we find both of those things, don't we? What does Paul say here in 1 Thessalonians 5? For our gospel came not unto you. You know he's already written some stuff here. They've already preached. There's already the written word. There's already the gospel that can be seen and preached from the Old Testament. Remember, the, the first messages preached in the, in the early church, you know where they were preached from? Not from most of the New Testament. That's being written. What's it being preached from? It's being preached from the Old Testament. It's being preached. Why? Because the gospel is still yet there. And they can preach Christ throughout all the Scriptures. But where do we find that the Scriptures are accepted and believed? When the Holy Ghost is at work. Brethren, we have meant to worship. Right? All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. Think about this. The day that you got saved. Just like that. How about on a regular Sunday, right? And you've had this. And, I, and I've, it seems to happen this way. I'll, I'll swing for the fences and I normally get hit by the pitch and I can walk to first, right? That's, normally, that's a normal Sunday for me, preaching. That's the way it feels. And I'll have somebody who goes, <clears throat> Sunday was for me. And I'll go, well, that's good, <laughs> right? Why was it for them? Holy Spirit. You see, because I don't have a clue what any of your problems are because all I know is that your problems are like mine, right? We, the world's falling apart. We've got to work. We've got a, a bad boss or something, right? Car broke down, dog run off. I don't know. There's a million things. You stubbed your toe. You just don't feel good. You're halfway not even spiritual. And here you are, right? So you've got the same problems I got. We're in the flesh. We're in a fleshly dying world. It, it, we're full of wicked influences, and, and we are our worst influence, right? But the moment that these things become for us is not because I got enticing words. I'm a dummy. It's because the Spirit knows your heart. The Spirit knows your need. And this is why I can preach a sermon on one verse and somebody hears one sentence of a comment and they go, oh, that was it. That's all I needed. And they forget the rest. It's the work of the Spirit of God. This is why mankind, God just used us. We're just tools and vessels. He wants to fill us up, to pour us out. He wants to, to use us to pronounce His word through. That's it. Right? We have to be willing, have to be available, have to be simply just aware that the Lord wants to use us and then we just go, okay, do what you want, right? Now, there is nothing more comforting than having our election sure by receiving the gospel by faith through the convicting power of the Spirit applying the Scriptures to our hearts. I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people who are way on this side of election. They would take the five, six, eight-point Calvinist. I mean, they're, they're so sure of it, but then here's what you do. Well, how are you sure? And they go, well, I can't fully be sure. That's not biblical. I can be assured. I can, with confidence, say that I know that I'm elected God because I'm in Christ Jesus. Not because of who I am. Not because I've done anything to earn God's favor, earn God's merit, or earn God's love. Because I can't make Him love me any more or any less than He's ever loved me. In Christ Jesus. Notice, that's the key. That's the key that's missing. In Christ Jesus. We can be sure of these things. And Paul here says that I'm, I know and I'm thankful for these things because of how you've received the gospel and you have an assurance. He says you received not the word only, but also in power in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. But notice this. He says, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. This is what we're going to end on today. This is, this is key for us today. Many of us want to jump ahead to this part. And here's, here's the gist of the last part of verse 5. You know another reason why the Thessalonians believed the gospel? It's because Paul, Timothy, and Silas 
lived the gospel. It's because what they said, they believed. One of the greatest compliments I've ever received was, you preach like you really believe it. Well, that's good. We should live like we really believe it. If we really believe the gospel, how is that going to change us come Monday morning? Well, it should change everything. It should change every morning. Because if the gospel is true and we really believe it, it will change us. And if there is no change in the gospel, then I would hazard to guess that you might not really believe it. You might know it here, but belief is here. There must be a knowing here, but a knowing here is what we call faith and belief. If it's not there, but it's only here, there's an issue. Now, now this happens far too often because if you and I understand that we really believe the gospel, then what does that mean? It means it's going to affect every part of my life and not just my church life. It means it's going to affect the way we lead as husbands and fathers, wives and mothers. It it means it's going to change how we are a worker, whether we're the guy who's sweeping the floor and taking out the trash or if we're the guy who's cutting the checks. The gospel and true belief in it changes every aspect of our life because every aspect of our life is to be lived by, through, and for the gospel. Now, when we see this, he's writing, he says, As ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Green writes, Far from being a question of little importance, the character of the messengers was part of the message they preached. The Thessalonians could hear the proclamation, see its power, and observe how the message was lived. In all this, the concern of the evangelists was for the well-being of the Thessalonians themselves, for your sake, and not for the glory of the messengers. Right, he'll get into that in chapter 2. Paul, Silas, and Timothy did not minister among the Thessalonians to receive benefits from them, but rather preach for the benefit of their hearers. If we're honest with ourselves, there's many times that we do ministry for the wrong reason. There's many times that we don't do it because we really want someone to hear the gospel and be saved. We just want to say, I told somebody the gospel and they got saved. I put one in my belt, right? Preachers are very guilty. All of us are very guilty of it. And most of the time, and here's the hard part, most of the time we don't know it. Here's here's what we got to see. Our life has to match what we believe. Because if we really believe it, it will change how we live. If there is no fruit, there's no root, right? The root is belief. Belief doesn't stop there. Belief continues on because if we really believe the gospel, it will change. It will drive us to evangelism. Even the most shy and unconfident, it will drive us to share our faith. Even the ones of us who who stammer or are afraid to pray in front of others, it will drive us to pray regardless. The gospel and its power pushes us forward because the gospel becomes our power. The gospel becomes our strength. The gospel becomes our assurance. The gospel becomes our purpose. Because without it, we've got nothing anyways. We wouldn't take a step forward. Now, here's what we look at. These men, their lives matched what they believed. Do our lives match what we believe? I can tell you a difference. Let's look at this. There's two groups of people in church today. We could say three. You got lost, and we're not going to count them because they're just attending. They're not a part of the church, right? I know that's hard. Church isn't for lost people. It's for the church. 
The church is to be then equipped to go and then win the lost so then they too can come on in. Are they welcome here? Absolutely. I want them to be comfortable enough. And I want you to understand this. I want lost people to be comfortable enough to come in here and to take a seat regardless of where they are, regardless of what they look like, smell like, regardless of what part of their life they're in. I want them to be comfortable enough to do that. But then I want them to be uncomfortable enough to where they know that they're missing something. Right? They, they should be because they are. But then there's a, another two kind of people in church. There's the Christians and then there, there's the churchians. There's the ones who follow Christianity and there's the ones who follow churchianity. Both know the same gospel. The difference is this one believes it and lives it. This one, their life matches church life. What is church life? Unfortunately, church life is little kingdom building. It is prideful at times. It is full of gossip and deceit and self-will and self-strength. A lot of church looks like that. And there's many who follow that. They know the lingo of the Christianity. They even say that they believe the Christianity. But their life matches, well, I go to church. I can tell you the ones, here's the ones who are in churchianity versus Christianity. Ask them why they're saved. This one says because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, I'm no good at all, but I thank God for his grace and mercy, right? Something to that effect, right? There's not a script. This one says, I go to so-and-so church, or I've been a member of so-and-so church. Or they might even really tag on if someone's adamant. You know, I go to church and I, I, I believe, you know, in Jesus. Muslims believe in Jesus, you know that? This is a pandemic we're facing, folks. And Paul here thanks God that these people over here received the real deal. And you want to know what helped those Thessalonians receive the real deal? Because Paul, Silas, and Timothy were the real deal. The world doesn't need fake Christians. doesn't need fake faith. They can smell it now from a mile away. We need realness. We need to be real with ourselves. We need to be real with our Savior. We need to be real with sinners. We've got to be real. As we close up here, the key for the election and establishment of the Thessalonian church or any local church, including Victory Way Baptist Church, is the gospel preached in power by the Holy Spirit, applied by the convicting and convincing power of the Holy Spirit through Holy Spirit-filled and surrendered preaching. The only reason why Paul, Silas, and Timothy could even live the life that was an example to those Thessalonians is because they were dependent upon the Spirit, filled by Him. It's not just because of the apostleship or because they were hanging out with the Apostle Paul. This could be the life of every believer. Even more so, it needs to be the life of every believer. There's a lost and a dying world that needs Christ. There is a God who needs glorifying. There is a church that needs strengthening. And it will be found as each one of us. Lord, here am I. I need you. Fill me. Strengthen me. Send me. Help me to live what I say I believe. And help me to truly believe what I say I believe. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. Grateful that we could study your word. Help us, O oh Lord. God, we pray that you would uh, just prepare our hearts, not just for worship. Lord, help us to worship even now. 
Help us to have this truth applied to us, Lord, that we would be filled by You, strengthened by You, God. I pray, Lord, that You would be very present amongst us today, that You would uh, touch hearts, Lord, purge us of any sin, purify our minds today. God, that You would be honored and glorified today. Lord, if there's one who doesn't know You as, as Lord and Savior, I pray that You would uh, show them Christ. Lord, that it would be Your goodness that would draw them to repentance and faith. Lord, we thank You for this time. May we worship You, honor You, glorify You, give us a spirit of unity today. In Jesus' name, amen.